Good morning. Welcome to Crossroads. If, happy Sunday to you. Happy Thanksgiving. If you, are, if you are new here this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you joined us on this weekend, this week, if you will, of giving thanks. We want to be grateful, thankful people. Yes? Okay, some of you are not convincing. We want to be thankful, grateful people. No matter what we're walking through, no matter what is happening in our life. And that's not easy, is it? It's not easy. It's not easy to be thankful, to be grateful, particularly when we're walking through a time of, of pain, a time of darkness, a time of confusion. I use that word time on purpose because our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And if you want to get a head start, you can find your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where the author, the Apostle Paul, uses this word time or times. And he's going to, he, he has the, his heart is to address this particular group of churches in, in Thessalonica, that area, and the church today, those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ. His heart is to address this question that we, we constantly struggle with. It's the question of when. The question of when. Now we're we're walking through a series based on the one another statements in the in the in the New Testament, where the New Testament writers, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, addressed believers and said there's some very important ways that you treat each other, that you treat one another. And so we've looked at accepting one another. We've looked at serving one another. Last week we saw that we are to teach and admonish one another. And this morning. Our phrase is encourage one another. Encourage one another. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as well as 5, Paul uses this phrase. At the end of chapter 4 and about the end of our text, the middle of, of chapter 5, he says you need to encourage one another. And it's connected to this question of when. As soon as we're in a season, a moment of challenge, a moment of difficulty, we want to know when it's going to be over as soon as you sit down in the dentist chair right in fact it starts before that when you walk into the dentist and I my dentist might be watching the dentist that I've not been to in a while but the, my dentist when you walk into the dental office there's a there's a there's a thing that hits your, there's an aroma that hits your nose you with me you know, it, and it's not a bad thing, it's, just, it's a familiar aroma. It's one that brings back memories. As soon as you smell those, those chemicals or whatever it is that we're smelling, your, your, your muscles tense up and your mind goes back to moments where... So it happens even before you get to the chair. But once you sit down in the chair and, and the doctor goes through what the procedure is going to be today, you're, okay, yes, you want to know about the pain factor... But really, we want to know when is it going to be over? How long? Our brain begins to turn. Okay, she said, in my case, Dr. Razi is going to do this and this and Okay, when is this going to be over? Anytime we face a challenge, a difficulty, we want to know when this is over. I've noticed with my grandkids sometimes, when I say, hey, can we pray before we have a meal together? I've, I can see it on their faces 
the food is there in front of them and the smell is hitting their, their nose and they're hungry and they're excited about whatever it is that they ordered at the restaurant and they want to know how long Papa's going to pray. When is he going to be done? And as I pray, that question gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And some of them can't wait till when it's over. And so you know what happens, right? You, do you? Some of, depending on who it is, some of them pick it up and, they, and they, they bring it up and they're holding it and so they can smell it. Other grandchildren just take a finger and they stick it in whatever is on the plate and they put it in their mouth because they want to know when do I get to eat? This question of when is not new to us. The disciples wanted to know when as well. You can see that in the word of God. Jesus revealed why he was here and, and that he was going to give his life. He was going to be crucified and he was going to be buried and he was going to resurrect from the dead and then he was going to ascend back to the right hand of the Father where he has been for eternity and they wanted to know when. And then he said, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. John chapter 14. I'm going to go prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come back and you're going to be with me forever because that's God's heart. That's his redemptive plan. That's always been his plan. Do we get that? That's the Garden of Eden. That's creation. That's God's plan to have an intimate relationship with his creation. And then sin came into the picture by man's choice, our choice. And it came in and it ruined that. It destroyed it. And God put a plan that he already had in his heart before we were even created of how he would restore us to that relationship with him. And as Jesus was speaking of leaving this earth and that he would be back one day, the disciples wanted to know when, when is this going to happen? This is a really important question to us. Now let me just, I'll just give you the end of the story. Some of you already know this. We don't get to know the answer to the when question. <laughs> I saw people going, uh, you know. When? It's gonna come up pretty quickly in, in my household as the tree goes up. Who has their tree up? I'm just curious how, how... okay, good. All right, you guys are the minority, so good, so I don't feel so bad. The tree goes up, and then what happens after the tree goes up? What begins to happen? Presents begin to magically appear, right? We know better, but for the kids, they just magically begin to appear. And what is the question that begins to be asked? When do we get to open the presents? I, I find it interesting, in all the years of our kids growing up, we had pretty strong tradition of when, it was pretty consistent when we opened the presents. And yet they pushed that boundary every single year. When? You know when. No, I don't know when. When do we get to open them? We want to know when. And God has chosen not to give us the, the when, the answer to the when question. But he has given us the answer to the what, the who, and the why. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and as I mentioned, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 will end with this phrase, encourage each other. That's really the heart of God is that I know you want to know the when, but let me give you the what, the who, and the why. You see, here, here's, here's God's omniscient, omniscience, his all-knowing. He knows you and me. He knows us. And if he gives us the wind, answers the wind question, everything changes for us, doesn't it? For good or bad, it, everything changes. As soon as you know the wind, 
everything changes. And what God has done is he said, I'm not going to give you the win. I want you to live like you don't know when the win is going to happen. I want you to live every day like the win could be today. We, we, culturally, we put this in a um, kind of a weird song, but Santa Claus is coming to town. Remember that song? You know, you better watch out. You better be good. What is that song saying? It's saying you don't get to know when he comes and what's going to happen, so just live, be, a, be on the good list, be on the nice list, live that way every day. Now, I'm not saying you get your theology from that song. Don't misunderstand me. Get your theology, your understanding of who we are and who God is from his word. And in First Thessalonians, for our text here in First Thessalonians chapter 5, he's not going to answer the when, but he is going to challenge us to live like we don't know when the win is going to happen and what that looks like. Accept one another, serve one another, teach and admonish one another, and encourage one another. These could all fit within this, this challenge to live today like today could be the win. He could come today. You've heard that. If you've been in church at all, you've heard that many times, right? And we make this statement. But it's, it's so much more than just a, a platitude or a plaque that we put on the wall. It's really God's heart is revealed in his word. Live every day like today is your last opportunity to live the way I've called you to live. In obedience to me. So in Thessalonians chapter 5, we read this, verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 11. About the times and the seasons... Brothers, you don't need to know, need anything to be written to you. I don't need to explain the times and the seasons. And it's interesting, the times has to do with duration, the timing of things, and the seasons has to do with characteristics. Marvin Gaye had that song, What's Going On? Some of you remember that at a certain age, some of you won't. But he, during the Vietnam War, and he asked that question, what's going on? We need to know what's going on. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, you know about the times. You know already really the question to the when as much as you're going to get to know. And you know what's happening. You know what's playing out in your day, in your culture, what's happening in this season. Brothers, you don't need anything to be written to you. Interestingly enough, Paul was only in Thessalonians. Thessalonica, as far as we can tell, for three weeks. You can read about it in the book of Acts. I believe it's chapter 17, where for three Sabbaths he was there. For three weeks he, he taught and he shared the gospel and he planted seeds that became a church as people gave their faith, put their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I, you don't need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. What's the picture? A thief and a burglar, does that make sense? Do they announce, hey by the way, Thursday I'm coming to your house, probably about 2 a.m., just giving you a heads up. No, they don't, of course they don't. In that same sense, he says, no, it's not, it's not gonna, you're not gonna, there's not gonna be an announcement that tells you it's happening now, the when. It'll come like a thief in the night, in the night. And when they say, speaking of people in, in authority, the, the voices of your culture, if you will, when they say peace and security, we're fine, everything's fine, we're good, then sudden destruction comes on them, the judgment of God comes, and it's like labor pains come on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now half of us, or almost half of us in this room understand that metaphor, the other half we do not. My perspective is a little different, it's a husband. 
And this idea of pregnancy is, is interesting, this picture, because there's, there's two elements. One is, you know it's going to happen, right? We even say that. It's going to happen. One way or another, it's going to happen. How many husbands said that to their wives when they were in pain? Who has the scar, like me, <laughs> as, as the result? Pregnancy, we, it's going to happen, and yet when those real labor pains start that are going to bring about the birth, they're, they're unexpected. Now, some women claim, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to speak against that. They know, and, and that's good. But for most women, you know it's going to happen. It's in, that, it's in that time frame, right? When you expect it, yet it's unexpected when it, when it happens. And it's, it's happening. It's happening now. And we've all seen the pictures, right, the, the, the videos of the husband running around like crazy getting the stuff ready, you know, and getting the bag and getting in the car. And I, it happened to me one time at family camp up, at, uh, up, uh, up Highway 50, and it was in the middle of the night, and I believe it was Ashley, and Becky leans over, and Ashley was the, the child, and uh, Becky leaned over and said, it's time. And guys, I got to drive my car down high, Highway 50 at almost 100 miles an hour. <laughs> it was so fun. And I get her home because we gotta get there and we get home and she goes, oh, I need to take a shower first. Because I've been at family camp for a couple of days. The mysteries of pregnancy, the mystery of the, of, of the woman's mind. I'll leave it at that. Like labor pains come on a pregnant woman this sudden destruction will come like labor pains come on a pregnant woman. It's expected and yet it's sudden when it happens and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, you who know Jesus, you're not in the dark. For this day, these events, they're not gonna overtake you like a thief that comes in the night. For you're all sons of light and you're all sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then... If this is true, then we must not sleep. And it literally, it's not sleep in death that he uses in chapter four. It's sleep in just being indifferent and unaware. It means to be caught off guard, like what? He says, as those of us that are in the day and we're in the light, it shouldn't, it shouldn't catch us asleep like the rest. But we must stay awake. We must be intentionally watching the season, the times, and then we need to be serious, we need to be sober, we need to be clear-headed. Because the reality is this, those who sleep, those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night in the darkness. But since we belong to the day, not to the darkness, we must be serious. There's the word again, clear-headed, sober. We must be serious and put on the armor of faith and love on our chests, and put the helmet of hope of salvation, a helmet goes on the head. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Did you hear that song at the beginning we opened up? Oh, what a friend, oh, what a savior we have. Our salvation comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. He gave himself up for us, took our place so that whether we are awake on this earth or asleep, this speaking of death and we've gone to the next life, we, either way, awake or asleep, we will, we will live, we will be together with him. 
Therefore, if this is true, if you believe this to be true, encourage one another, comfort one another, and build each other up as you are already doing. I, I have found in the last year and a half, and you can agree with me or maybe disagree with me, but I have found in the last year and a half that the word of God has taken on a new relevance like I've never experienced before in my life. As the, the circumstances around me have become what they are, the word of God has become more and more and more timely for the day in which I find myself living. This is written 2,000 years ago in the first century A.D., and the, the people that have put their faith in Jesus are looking at the surroundings, looking at their circumstances, governmentally, economically, socially, all the things that are happening around them, and they're asking, when? When is this going to end? When are we going to go and be with you? And Paul responds to them and says, you know what? You don't get to know the when, but let me take your question and let me turn it a little bit, because the question should be, how then do we live right now? in this set of circumstances. He says you encourage one another. You encourage one another with the truth that I just reminded you of. Let me, let me say it this way, let me give you four things and if you write things down or you take notes on your phone or however you do it, I encourage you to write these down because this is the, the question I ask myself, how do I apply to me, to us, today, what I just read? Number one, Here's what I think Paul is challenging us to do. Stop worrying about the wind. Don't worry about the wind, trust God's promise. See the, question, the reason the question the wind becomes more intense in our lives is because what we see, what we're experiencing, doesn't seem to match or fit what we have come to believe to be true about God. There seems to be a disconnect. You with me? I know God to be this, I've learned to be this. He has shown up in my life and he has been this way consistently. And the word of God consistently tells me of his loving kindness, of his faithfulness, of his sovereignty, of his holiness, of his love, of his grace and his mercy. And yet every day when I get up and I deal with relationships and finances and health and organ, you know, relationships organizationally in church, at work, neighborhood, I'm feeling a disconnect, and so as a, as, a, as a man who's put his faith in Jesus and has read his word, I, I'm asking more and more intensely, when, when, when? And Paul doesn't answer the when question, Jesus doesn't when it's asked, doesn't when it's asked of him. He says, you don't get to know that. But let me answer this question, how you should live, and the place to start is stop worrying about the when. It's, it's a legitimate question, but stop getting focused or fixated on that. Instead, fix yourself on God's promise. Did you hear God's promise in this text? Did you see it there? We're not in the dark. This, this day shouldn't overtake us like a thief. We are sons of light. We are sons of the day. How did that happen? How did I become a son of, of the light, a son of the day? Because I'm a really good guy. Why are you laughing? That hurts. <laughs> no. Because you know the truth. You know yourself. You know me. Colossians tell, Paul says in Colossians that we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. Jesus tells his followers, you're the light. 
What does that mean? It means you know the truth. You've experienced the truth. You've been transformed by the truth. Now go live it out. Go live as lights. Let it shine. Let people see in you. Let them hear from you the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that I have been rescued. I I can't sleep like the rest, but I need to stay awake and I need to be serious. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night, but since we belong to the day, we must be serious. He says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but he's appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. The message of the word of God is consistent in the New Testament writers, and it's this. If you believe that is true, then you can trust God that he'll return at the right time. And he'll keep his promise. Did you hear that? That's the, that's the, the gospel doesn't stop with that. That's where we sometimes stop. But the word of God is consistent. If you believe that, if you're putting your faith in that, if you believe that Christ's death on the cross set you free from sin, he took your penalty, and you are forgiven, you are made new. Paul said, this new creation, and the Holy Spirit moved in, and now I'm a child of God. If you believe that, With the same amount of certainty and confidence, you can believe that Jesus will return when the Father tells him to, and it will be a perfect moment. It'll be perfect in its timing. You with me? We we tend to separate them, and the Word of God keeps putting them back together. Don't worry about the, the wind. Trust God's promise. We don't know when, but you know, we do know why. You know why that happened? Because God loves you. Why would he return and take you to be with him for eternity? Because God loves you. You with me? We know why. We know who. Not those in the dark, those in the light. Those who have come to the light. Faith in Jesus Christ. And we know what. Jesus is very clear in John 14. The what is you get to be with me forever. That's what's going to happen. This body's going to die you guys know that? Take a look. <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> no. It's aging. It's wearing out. This body is going to stop functioning. Then what? Then what happens? We know the answer to that question, don't we? Do we? Yes, we do, according to God's word. We're with him forever. According to Jesus' promise, we're with him forever. Don't worry about the wind. Trust God's promise. Don't live your life trying to answer the wind. Live your life on God's promise. Number two, wake up. Wake up and live your life with urgency. I hope you can hear that there, and and, and everywhere that I I find myself reading in God's word, particularly the the New Testament authors, there's a a sense of urgency, and you think, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Okay, yes, it was 2,000 years ago. How urgent should we be today? How urgent should we be living today? And he uses this picture to wake up, to stop being asleep. It's kind of funny when you wake somebody up suddenly, isn't it? No? If it happens to you, then no, it's not funny. But, you know, to wait, you know, okay. Nobody did this to their kids? Did anybody wake their kids up in the middle of the night just for fun? <laughs> I d- no? I'm a bad, I'm a bad father. You can ask, I asked Becky, she was like, what are you doing? You know, I just, it's fun. At certain ages, 9, 10, 11, you know, you know, and then they'll do whatever you tell them. They just like, you know, that's the picture here. 
He says people without the truth, without the light, are kind of just living life asleep. They don't understand what's really happening. But as children of the light, those who put their faith in Jesus, you know the truth, then wake up and live your life with a sense of urgency because we don't know when he's gonna come back. We don't know when these plans are are gonna unfold. So I need to live today, Sunday, what is today, November 28th, like this is my last opportunity to live out what he's called me to live out. We've been lulled to sleep, church. We've been lulled to sleep by affluence and influence. We have been lulled to sleep. Our urgency has, has wafted away because we have been lulled to sleep by affluence and influence. We expect to have influence. We expect to have a say. We expect that we're gonna shape the culture in which we live. And we're caught by surprise when the culture pushes back and says, no, we don't believe what you believe and we don't value what you value. So be quiet and go away. We've been lulled to sleep by the expectation that we would shape the culture. And we've been lulled to sleep by affluence. I'm not speaking against credit cards, but credit cards come to my mind. You know, I have, man, I have a need. No, I got a credit card. I'm gonna go put it on the credit card and I can make 10 easy payments, you know, or whatever. Just as an example of how we've been lulled to sleep And the Apostle Paul is writing to a church, he's writing to us through the Holy Spirit that we need to wake up and live our life with urgency. Charles Spurgeon said this in a message on this text. He said, sleep speaks of ignorance, like we don't know the truth, we don't know the the times or the season. Sleep speaks of insensibility, and sleep speaks of no defense, we're not prepared. Sleep speaks of inactivity. And I believe he's addressing specifically the the inactivity of making disciples, of living life with a sense of urgency. What really matters right here, right now? Wake up, Kurt. Wake up, church. Wake up and live your life, the life that God has given us with urgency. We've been distracted from making disciples by our need to make things what we want them to be. And that's a personal statement. If you can identify with it, then do so. We've been distracted from making disciples by our need to make things what we want them to be. What I want my bank account to be, what I want my home life to be, what I want my relationships to be, how I want my government to be, how I want my health to be, I can fill in all kinds of blanks. Wake up, live your life with urgency. Number three, wear your armor. Now, in Ephesians 6, Paul goes into great detail of this armor that we're to put on. It's interesting here, he summarizes it by faith, love, and hope. Do you see it? Do you see it? Put on your armor. Put on, wake up, be serious, you're living in the day, you have the truth, be serious, sober-minded, and put on the armor of faith and love on your chests to protect your heart, your inner life, and put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. Your thinking should be dominated by the hope that we have because of that. Yes? But see, what our hope tends to fix on when is he coming back? When is this gonna change? When is it gonna, no, he says fix your hope on the fact that you're saved through Christ. What he did on the cross was enough. Hold on to that hope. 
Put on your armor, wear your armor, put on your faith, put on your love, put on hope. Because when you walk in here, you see there's a statement back there. We want to raise up passionate followers of Jesus. And what is the characteristic of a passionate follower of Jesus? They're living by faith. They're known by their love. And they are a voice of hope. So we don't get to know the when, but we get to know how we should live Put on the armor. Every time somebody interacts with me, and we interacted with each other a lot probably this week and Thanksgiving, and 